Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. The only show dedicated to exploring the commercialization of great ideas and research across deep tech and science, driven by the ambition of the people that make up Australia's unique innovation landscape. We talk to the greatest minds about what is influencing their work and their insights into the ingredients needed to bring great Australian innovation to life. Hello, I'm James Riley. Welcome to the Commercial Disco. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Pavillard, Chief Executive of Defence Industry Consultancy, Adroita. Sarah, welcome. I'm going to get you to describe just in a moment some of the various parts of Adroita, but it's an interesting conversation today. We'll be talking a lot about capability building, sovereign capability, dual-use technologies, lots of different areas. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you for having me with you here today, James. I'm really excited about our conversation. Okay, so let's start a little bit of background on yourself. You're a long-time Navy veteran, have worked in civilian defence, I think, in consulting for years, so you certainly have the background in that little universe. You're also a board member of the Submarine Institute of Australia and on the board of the Australian Industry and Defence Network. So now that you're running effectively a startup business that's uh, heavily involved in defence. And as someone who's come out of defence, what does the view look like on those two sides? And just tell us a little bit about Adroita. So how about I start with a little bit about Adroita, and then I'll go to the view from both sides of the fence, which I think is a really exciting place to play in, actually. So, James, as you rightly said, I'm an ex-naval officer. I joined the Navy straight out of school, studied electrical engineering and trained to be a weapons engineer in Navy. And I've had a really non-linear defence career path, I would say. So I spent nearly 12 years in the Navy. I moved on from Navy, continued to do some reserve work. I had a couple of other businesses that were totally not related to the defence sector. And then after undertaking a more intense period of reserve work, I started Adroita seven years ago. And I literally started the business as one person doing one contract working with defense, setting up some support contracts for Navy. Following that, I've really grown two firm legs to the Adroita business. So on one hand, we deliver professional services directly to defense and to its key professional service partners. So we undertake engineering, project and program management, commercial, strategic business advice type of work for defence. And it would be fair to say that we are naval specialists. And if we were going to niche even further, we're surface combatant specialists. So that's our sweet spot. And we love the kind of work that we've been able to do in those programs. But we do have people across other domains in defence or other sub-markets within the sector. So land, joint, aviation, test and evaluation. We're doing quite a broad spectrum of work. Then the other leg of the business is our advisory business. And this is a business I almost stumbled into a couple of years ago. And we work with Australian businesses largely, although we're also working with businesses that are really committed to developing capability in Australia to help them mobilize into the defense sector. And we do that by helping them understand how their existing commercial capability plugs into defense, who their customer is probably going to be, 
and then we build them their strategies and then for those who need some support, we help them execute their growth strategy in the defence sector as well. And that's really exciting work because it comes back to your question, James, in terms of that perspective from both sides of the fence. Because we've had that ex-defence experience in the team and particularly in my advisory team who are separated from our professional services team to help us avoid any conflict of interest concerns, that perspective of really deeply understanding the customer and how the customer makes decisions is knowledge that our commercial and advisory clients typically really lack. So they might have deep knowledge of their technology or their R&D, but they do not know how to engage with defence and they don't know how their product fits into the sector and how their business is going to need to change in order to accommodate the unique aspects of delivering to government, but specifically to defence. And those unique aspects, of course, include things like security, commercial compliance, systems engineering obligations, just a range of things that they would not necessarily have been exposed to in their commercial business. And we have to help them achieve that whilst not adversely impacting the commercial business that's given them the profitability and the revenue to be able to start thinking about defence. So I think that that defence perspective is really a superpower for our advisory clients in particular. Well, I guess that's a two-way street, isn't it? I'm thinking if you're a conduit of uh, consultancy advice for small companies to assist them, you know, engage with defence, which would be no small, you know, no mean feat for mm. some of these companies, but also giving defence a bit of a, an understanding or a, a view of the world from a startup perspective, like a small company perspective dealing with defence. I have no doubt defence has accidentally killed many companies that had uh, tried to engage but you know, didn't get across the valley of death before something got signed. Absolutely. I think that this is actually one of the real challenges that those who sit within defence have, and it's a lack of the knowledge about the true commercial drivers of a growing business, particularly businesses that are scaling. So businesses that are on a growth trajectory eat a lot of cash, they need sustainable revenue and that sort of entrepreneurial knowledge is just not the core knowledge base of the public service necessarily or the uniform people in defence. So most of my commercial knowledge has been developed through trial and error and through great mentors outside of my military and core background of training and development. So there's been a lot of discussion lately, literally the highest levels of government from Anthony Albanese down, about the importance of sovereign capability, of developing sovereign capability in strategically important areas. Now, this is obviously the case in defence, and defence has a mandate to go out and build capability in this country. The question I want to ask you is how the drivers that defence has, how that can be extended into other industries, given so much of the tech like AI, quantum, satellites, building rockets. These are all things that are dual-use tech can find success in the commercial world. So how do you think those capability building in defence can be leveraged to build you know, globally successful commercial enterprises based in Australia? That's a mouthful of a question. Well, James, I think if we drill down into your question, I think the key word there is around dual-use. And 
There are many businesses that serve defence, whether from a technology or a services perspective. And I think it's probably worth coming back to a question around services, that the engineering and the highly specialist professional services that are the engine room of the defence sector as well. But those dual-use businesses pop out really through two avenues. They've either grown up in defence or they've grown up in the commercial world and then to strengthen their business and potentially smooth revenue, make their forecasting more predictable and to broaden their customer base, they may be looking at accessing either the commercial or the defence aspect that they're not leveraging today. I think for commercial businesses, there's another piece here. So there's no doubt that geopolitically, we're entering into a really complex era. And I think that commercial businesses in the next 12, 18, 24 months will be being asked the question, what can you do to support Australia's national security agenda? So businesses as might typically have never even considered defence might be asked that question. And not just in the defence context, but Claire O'Neill gave an address about her agenda on resilience and cybersecurity at the National Press Club. So I think this is a broader question. Back to the question around dual use, one of the real challenges I think continues to be that the commercial view doesn't really understand how to plug into defence. Defence doesn't really have necessarily the visibility and the line of sight to all the commercial or R&D technology and capability that's currently at its fingertips here in Australia. And then likewise, businesses really don't know how to bridge that gap to be able to communicate what they can do. Defence is also a very relationship-based sector. I mean, every sector is, but the difference in the defence context is, even if I think about my own experience, there are people that I have gone to sea with, that I'm working with today, that I went to the Defence Academy with. You almost grow up and come of age with many of your peers. And so it's a really closed shop. It's not just a closed shop because of the security concerns, the cybersecurity requirements, the commercial complexity to even engage and deliver into the sector. But it's kind of a closed shop because of the nature of the development of the people who have served together and lived together and gotten dirty together and cold, wet and tired and hungry. It's a very difficult ecosystem to break into. It's a very interesting point, and I say this as uh, the father of two children who go to Campbell Primary, which I think has uh, 50% of the school of defence kids were just around the corner from ADFA. And I must say, I went to the ADFA Open Day last year, which is a completely fascinating experience. Anyone who's listening who wants to go to the Australian Defence Force Academy's Open Day, they really cover an incredibly broad range of interesting topics and areas, including you know, stalls on quantum computing and Mm -hmm. electric bushmasters and uncountable drones and, you know, AI-driven devices. So you raised an interesting point, and I would say Defence has made quite serious efforts, I think, in the last couple of years to engage more, but there's a long way still to go, I would say. Definitely, but I think with this changing strategic environment, that Australia finds itself in, we've got to find a way to crack on and hurry up as well. And so I don't know the answer, 
I can see some of the challenges and I can really speak to the perspective of the businesses that we work with and we've got our core advisory clients, but then we talk to hundreds of businesses every year about the challenges that they're experiencing talking to defence or exploring defence. And the other piece is that this comes down to trust. So in this sector, businesses are building trusted supply chains and so there's a big trust gap for businesses to bridge as well when they're first working in the sector. I actually think that it's almost impossible for them to do it alone. So businesses need to find, you know, whether they're an emerging technology offering or whether they're a 60-year-old manufacturer with a large footprint, large revenue numbers, they can't map out how to plug in without a translator of some kind. And Defence has had a range of initiatives to support that translation piece. But there's a limit in what the government can undertake in order to facilitate that conversation or translation. It's a numbers game, really. And one of the core barriers still remains that defence can really see who's talking to them today, might be able to do some industry research or, or get some consulting support to do some of that research. But it doesn't know about who's not talking to them necessarily. So we might have a view, say, on quantum computing. And for example, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute has done some really interesting mapping on quantum computing technology and research and how IP is flowing globally through, say, the quantum computing emerging capabilities. But defence's big challenge is there is likely to be technology here in Australia in the sector that it just can't see. So, you know, I've had conversations with various people, particularly in the innovation context, that say, for example, by the time a company gets to the Innovation Hub, which is one of Defence's key R&D funding mechanisms for innovative technology, Defence is really only speaking to the businesses who know about them and who know enough to apply for that funding. It's disconnected from the much broader and deeper ecosystem that could be available to it in Australia. And I think that that's going to be an enduring challenge And it's a challenge for two reasons. One, the urgency to get some of these capabilities mobilised into the sector is increasing. And I think that we're going to continue hearing in coming weeks the Prime Minister talking about accelerating capabilities. I've certainly heard a change in the narrative around this concept of accelerated capabilities and impactful projection. But then there's the other side of the coin, which is how does defence filter those capabilities quickly to work out what's really relevant? And I think there are two pieces of the puzzle that are going to be needed to be solved to grow that technological and R&D ecosystem in Australia to serve the increasing defence and national security needs. Yeah, it's completely fascinating that uh, increasingly business will be asked to contribute. That is a, a fascinating prospect and I guess speaks to the geopolitical circumstances. As you say, building trust. Can I just add something there, James? Sorry. Just in terms of that question about businesses being asked to contribute, we've actually seen more in the US, actually, there's been a real reticence, for example, from some Silicon Valley funded megatech businesses to really support the defense sector in the US. So aside from the internal politics, The reality is that, say, if we look at what's been happening in Ukraine, commercial businesses, Microsoft, SpaceX and Starlink, have been critical 
to contributing to the success of the Ukrainians in terms of commercially off-the-shelf communications devices, transfer and transmitting of information through iPhones and social media. So I think we can't deny that there's a really critical piece that these companies play. And in the US, I think they're being asked more and more to contribute, not necessarily all are willing, but there's a significant growing opportunity for those businesses that are. Well, I think in the case of Australians, when we're talking about building that trust as you did there's no faster way to build trust than to solve a problem for someone. And I guess you just need to be given the chance to solve that problem to get through the door, which is not straightforward, I guess. Look, I'm a little bit conscious of time, so I'm going to move along. You mentioned Claire O'Neill's address to the National Press Club. She spoke a lot about cybersecurity and cyber resilience and all those things. Skills are a problem in cyber across the board, right? And certainly in government and certainly in defence. What are you seeing now? How are those gaps going to get plugged? And is this where the private sector will have a role to play? Look, I think you're bang on. We have a skills crisis, particularly with respect to the tech industry. And my visibility is very much on professional engineers. And in the defence and national security context, this problem is seriously amplified because for the most part, people must be Australian citizens to deliver into these projects if they require a security clearance and they either need to be security cleared or security clearable. And I think this is going to go through another step change because in terms of working with the US and the UK under the trilateral tech sharing arrangement with AUKUS, there will be other restrictions on dual citizenship as well, which is already a feature of the sector when it comes to managing the US export regulations. But I predict that this is going to get more difficult. It's not going to be easier. I think government actually has some significant levers to pull here. And Claire O'Neill really touched on this in her National Press Club address last year, where she talked about the need to be a mega magnet for incredibly skilled technologists and engineers that Australia needs to really attract a global diaspora of highly skilled, highly capable technologists to contribute to our skills gaps or to narrow the skills gap. Just before Claire O'Neill did her press club address, Robin Denholm also gave an address, chairwoman of Tesla Globally and chair of the Tech Council of Australia. And she talked about, I think it was around a 640,000 shortfall between now and 2030 in terms of tech workers in Australia. And that was aside from the traditional professional engineers. So I think government really needs to pull some levers and it needs to look at skilled migration, speeding up the security clearance processes for those who are working in defence and national security. And the third thing is the conversations about the rich opportunities and exciting work that people can do needs to start in primary school. It's too late having a conversation when somebody's considering their TAFE or or uni subjects. Those inspiring models of what I could be like need to be shown to children at primary school age while they're imagining what they could be like or what they could be doing in the future. I think that's a really big gap. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look like there's any short-time fix for that problem. I'm talking to Sarah Pavlard, the Chief Executive of Adroita, the defence industry consulting firm. Now, Sarah, dual-use technologies, 
the National Reconstruction Fund is currently before the Parliament, and uh, we're all kind of waiting for a little bit more detail on how that fund will be administered. From your perspective, I'm wondering how, in relation to dual-use tech, that a $15 billion fund, it's a large chunk of money, how that can be leveraged into defence or how defence funding can be leveraged with NRF to get behind, at scale, these dual-use technologies? Well, I think that one of the big challenges that we have at a national and a state level is almost this disaggregation of different R&D and investment initiatives in technology, manufacturing, critical industries, AUKUS pillars in the context of defence, sovereign industrial capabilities. There's a buffet of activities. But today, I don't see how a common thread is stitching them together. So I think that that, number one, is one of the big challenges, that there's a significant range of initiatives, but I don't see how they're coming together. But in terms of the dual use piece, we're about to hear about the submarine decision, the future nuclear-powered submarine decision in March. I understand the Prime Minister is going to be travelling to the US for that announcement. We're also going to be hearing from the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister the priorities out of the Defence Strategic Review that can be shared publicly. And a thread falling out of that, in fact, there are two key threads. One's a review into defence industry and probably sovereign capabilities, what that means. And then the other thread is one of the election promises that the current government made was to develop an Aussie DARPA, an Australian Strategic Research Organisation. And so my sense is, you know, there's been some industry engagement, some engagement around those defence initiatives. We're going to be waiting a little bit to see the defence context on industry. And I don't think until those elements are settled, will the path be clear in terms of how the defence agenda plugs into the National Reconstruction Fund agenda. I cannot see, though, that the National Reconstruction Fund won't have a significant contribution to the development of critical technologies and critical capabilities that bridge both defence and infrastructure or the broader commercial business. And the other piece is that this national resilience agenda, the resilience and capability of defence is really only one leg in a broader spectrum of capabilities that government needs to get after to reduce supply chain risk you know, to contribute to economic prosperity through high-value work, highly productive economy and developing world-leading technology. So I think those elements are actually all elements of the same ecosystem and we don't have the roadmap. I think we've got a direction, but we don't have the map and the waypoints yet. So it's difficult to look at how they're going to come together at this stage. All right, Sarah Pavillard, I'm going to wind it up now. Thank you very much for joining us on the commercial disco. Just before I do, I guess I'll leave you with this question. We live in a more uncertain world now than we did a year ago or in recent memory. I want to ask you, what's your outlook, the outlook for Adroida? How busy do you think you'll be with that as the reality in the background? Look, I think we're going to be very, very busy. Our business had three people in my team in March 2020. We're 25 now. I expect that we'll at least double in terms of FTE or people in the business over the next 12 months. And 
a lot of defence decision-making has been in a bit of a hiatus since caretaker period before the last election. But we've been spending a lot of time to ready ourselves for the decisions that are going to flow, I think, regarding accelerated capabilities. What can we move on really quickly that will flow very, very quickly after the federal budget is tabled in May? Well, we are in for a, a wild ride. Exciting times ahead. There's a lot happening. I think so. Sarah Pavlad, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you, James. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco Podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please visit our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our reporting on tech, innovation and public policy. You can also follow us on social media to ask us any questions or to suggest a guest for the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.